Welcome to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast with your host, Mr. G. For those about to learn, we salute you. Hello, party people. Thank you for joining us today on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast, where we are changing the world one classroom at a time. That classroom is your classroom. I'm your host, Jared Geller, Mr. G. And today's guest on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast, another superstar in education. Today's guest is Annie Brock. Annie is the co-author of The Growth Mindset Coach, The Growth Mindset Playbook, My Growth Mindset Journal, and Phrases for Growth Mindset. So in case you couldn't tell, today's episode is on, that's right, Growth Mindset. And you know that I really love Growth Mindset, and Annie is so passionate and so knowledgeable about Growth Mindset. It is just amazing to hear her speak about this topic because she's an expert on it. She wrote not just the book on growth mindset coaching in the classroom, but four books on growth mindset and bringing it into your classroom. And she's going to give so many great strategies, so many great phrases that you can use, so many, so much amazing research on, on the power of growth mindset, tell you exactly what growth mindset is, what it looks like, what the results that you can expect to see in your classroom. And there were some moments of this podcast that inspired me so much that I've already taken some of these lessons that I've learned from Annie and put them into play in my life, and both personally and professionally. And one of the big things, and I'll give you a little hint about it now, is the power of the word yet. Because there is a big difference between not knowing something and not knowing it yet. So using that idea of yet, giving that promise for the future, giving that promise that you can learn this with practice and hard work and effort and dedication and all the things that go into making growth mindset, that was something that really stuck with me because I don't like to hear the word no or can't or impossible. I like to hear the word, well, maybe not yet, but we'll get there. We'll figure it out. There's hope. You can do this. It's there on the horizon. And that was really inspiring for me. And there's so much else in this episode that should be inspiring for all of us. So let's get right to it. Here is Annie Brock. Hey, Annie, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. Would you mind giving everyone a quick introduction as to your background and how you became so passionate about the ideas of growth mindset? Sure. Um, my name is Annie Brock, and I'm an innovation specialist K-12 at Holton Public Schools in Holton, Kansas. And um, I've authored several books on growth mindset. Um, and uh, when I had the opportunity to write, I actually started writing about technology. I wrote a, a little manual about uh, Google Classroom, using Google Classroom. And the publisher asked if I'd be interested in writing another book. And um, I grabbed one of my favorite colleagues and friends, Heather Hunley, and we decided this topic of growth mindset was an idea whose time had come in education. Carol Dweck had been talking about it for about 10 years. And, and we could see um, growth and fixed mindsets at work every day in our schools. And we wanted to explore that idea and share some strategies for fostering growth mindset with um, teachers uh, all over. And so that is how the, the book was born. And it's been a, a wild, exciting ride ever since. I'm sure. And just so you know, we've talked about growth mindset a lot on this show. In fact, it's probably been like a topic every 10 episodes or so, but you have literally written the book on growth mindset in the classroom, and I'd love to hear how you explain it and define growth mindset. Um, and hopefully I've been on track in the past, but I really want to hear how you define the idea of growth mindset. Well, I always like to keep the definitions as simple as possible, that uh, a fixed mindset is the belief that your talents, skills, and abilities can't be developed really, that um, you, you know, you're born with it or you're not that kind of an attitude. Whereas the growth mindset, um, believes that your talent, skills, and abilities can be developed with hard work and, and dedication and practice. Um, Carol, Carol Dweck has this quote, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it, it's in her book mindset that, um, it's unknown and like, a person's potential is unknown and unknowable, and it's impossible to foresee um, what someone can accomplish with years of passion, toil, and training. And for me, that's kind of my growth mindset mantra, that I cannot predict 
what someone can be because if a person puts their mind to something and practices and works hard and put in effort, um, they will, they'll grow and we can't put a limitation on that growth. So I try to keep it really simple to explain to people so that they can recognize the fixed and growth mindset, uh, at work in their own lives. Awesome. Yeah. That's uh that actually is something that's really, really resonates with me because my, my dad, when I was growing up would always say, you can do anything you set your mind to. And it was always about if you set your mind to it, if you work hard, if you push yourself and you don't give up, then you can really achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. And I tried to bring that into my classroom a lot and it, I saw a lot of really great results. So growth mindset, it obviously sounds really important, but why to you is growth mindset so important? Like um, I talk about how, and I think Carol Dweck talks about this, is that praising, you know, praising um, kids for hard work versus being smart. And the way that I see that playing out is that you don't want kids to have an identity crisis later on in life because they face a challenge and they can't do it. And then all of a sudden they start thinking, well, I've always identified as smart and this makes me feel not smart. And so I don't even want to, I don't even want to go near those situations that make me feel this way when really it should be, this is a challenge. I want to take it on. I want to try. I want to push myself. I want to grow. So that's always been my take on growth mindset, but why to you is growth mindset so important? Yeah. Well, I think your take is right on. Um, I, we like to delineate between person praise and process praise. And in our book, we really draw out, okay, person praise is like you said, you're so smart. You're so good. You're so artistic. You're so creative. That's the kind of praise that, that feeds, um, a person's identity, like smartness becomes part of me. I am smart. I am artistic. It becomes part of, like you said, their ident- a, a person's identity when they hear that kind of praise. Um, for me, it was, you're a good writer. And so I, I was a good writer when I was young and it was something that I continued to pursue and ha- had, you know, became part of, part of my identity. So, um, on the other side, uh, there's process praise and that's not, we don't praise someone like you're so smart. Instead, we praise the process that they utilize in order to, um, get the achievement or, or growth. So for example, if a student passes a math test, instead of saying you're so smart, which associates their innate intelligence with passing the math test, instead you might say something like, you worked really hard on that. I liked the strategies that you used. Um, in your work, I could really tell where your math skills have improved. Things that are directly tied to their the, the process of the achievement or the process of learning. So then when the student fails a math test or any kind of test, which in- inevitably is going to happen, that failure is not associated with their essence as a being, you know, it's not like, Oh, I guess I'm not smart anymore because I failed. So who am I now? Instead that is associated with the process. Well, let me reflect. Was I up late last night playing video games? Yeah. Did I study for this as hard as I could? Probably not. And it really gets people thinking about the process that led to the outcome as opposed to some, you know, just, just, uh, character flaw that they have for failing. You know, it's, it's really about the process. And once, you know, you start thinking about person praise versus process praise, and then, um, categorizing the type of praise and encouragement that you give in your classroom, a lot of people are like, Whoa, (laughs) I know I, I was one of them like, Whoa, with my own kids, with my students, I am using person praise a lot. You're so smart. You are so awesome. You are so artistic. You are so nice. Um, things like even negative person praise, like you are, you are very bad. You know, if someone, which I never went that far, I kind of knew, um, not to say that without having it, but you hear people say like, you were so naughty or you were so bad, or even parents say stuff like that. Um, or even on the, on the flip side, you're so good. And that, that becomes, you know, an identifier for kids. And so what Carol Dweck teaches us and, and the way that we learn to foster mindset or growth mindsets 
And our kids, one of the biggest ways is just to give them process praise, to always associate achievement with the work that it took to get there, as opposed to some like mythical, you know, <laughs> greatness that they were inborn greatness that the person had. You know, so that kids grow up understanding the direct link between effort and achievement. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And also just that process and the effort and the hard work, that's all within a student's control. While their IQ or their intelligence, they might feel that that is not within their control. They're either born, you know, oh, you're so smart. Oh, you're so good. They're either born that way or they think, well, the alternative of being smart is not being smart. And yeah. that's not a good identity to have either. If they just hear other kids being praised as smart and they don't get that type of praise themselves, then that that's a negative identity that they might just pick up on um, as a byproduct of praising the person. So the process is always something that I felt was within their control. And when something's within your control, that is a really powerful motivator rather than something that's not in your control. So like in, in my classroom, I... I use these things that I called cultural callbacks. I don't know if that's a real phrase or something I made up, but it's basically instead of a callback that reminds students to refocus their attention, this reminds them to refocus on the class culture and the effort. And so Love that. the one the one in thanks. The one in our class was always just do your best. You know, what do we guys what's our goal in, in school today? Do your best. And there's plenty of other ones like practice makes perfect, try, 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 you know, I'm, I, I don't give up, I can do it, all these kinds of things, not afraid of a challenge, um, you know, keep pushing, bring it on, all these, all these types of phrases that we would use, but do your best was the big one. And so I'm wondering if you have any like short phrases, like a quick heuristic for teachers and students to remain focused on growth mindset and rather than reverting back to that you're so smart praise, like what is something that can be a cultural callback that focuses on effort, on process, on all these things that are within our control. Well, in, in our book, uh, The Growth Mindset Coach, each of the chapters were it had a mantra that – because the way that the book is broken up, it, it um, focuses on one aspect of growth mindset in the classroom each month so that a teacher can kind of spend a month honing um, skills in that specific area. And each one comes with some lesson plans that you can do in your classroom as well as some mantras. And then the idea is that after – um, 12 months of this like an immersive growth mindset teaching experience, then the next year you're ready to, to put it all together and, um, you know, foster growth mindset in your classroom as this kind of like holistic practice. But the mantras I think are speaking to what you're saying. And like, um, we are a community of learners to, you know, to promote interdependence. My brain is like a muscle that grows to, um, you, you remember that we have to work it out. We have to, to, that learning is hard and we have to push it just like people push it to, to grow their muscles. Um, let's see. Feedback is a gift. Accept it. Mm, I love that. Uh, some, we had some for teachers, like teaching is a practice, not a perfection. Um, or even you could change that for learners. Learning is a practice, not a perfection. Um, uh, gosh, this is testing my memory. <laughs> um, but, but no, we had several that, or I am a valued member of this learning community, I think was one when people aren't, you know, if, if someone is feeling undervalued, I'm trying to think, um, of more, but it was always, I love the idea of mantras and kind of class ideals, like the ethos of the classroom that you mm -hmm. establish as a group. And then, like you said, call back to that and keep it simple, keep it, you know, to just a few main points. And that becomes kind of your, the, um, the identity of your classroom. And then, um, mistakes, uh, mistakes help me grow. I think we had one like mistakes, help us grow, fail forward, things like that, mm -hmm. where you're like normalizing mistakes you are. And, and I love that because you can't force kids to have a growth mindset. You can't say, okay, you know, everybody's going to have a growth mindset today. It just simply doesn't work like that because that's a personal choice. But what we can do as teachers is foster that in our classroom. And I think your culture callbacks do that or cultural callbacks do that. But also just kind of having this like base guideline, like here's what we do in this class. When we mess up, we learn from it. That's what we do. It's not a big deal. We don't dwell on it. We charge ahead and we do better next time. Or we do hard things. Challenges grow my brain. Or, you know, 
and and you kind of set those things up early on, but then you continue to reference them. So it so it really becomes uh, a part of a part of your your culture. You normalize mistakes. You you um, you know insist on process praise versus person praise, and insist that when the the kids are giving um, feedback to each other, that they do it in a way that promotes growth mindsets too. And frankly, you teach kids how their their brains learn. I say that, said in our first book, I really think it's just shocking that every day millions of people come together in these learning institutions um, to do the hard work of learning, but we never actually talk, unless you're like in a master's degree program, we never actually talk about how our brains do the work of learning and what that looks like. And I I think it's important to talk to kids and be like, hey, we've got all got the same equipment up here. There's, you know, mm-hmm. these are the parts of our brains. This is how our brains learn. And just like when you're hungry, your tummy growls and you you get a little hangry and cranky, <laughs> you know, that's your body saying, hey, I'm hungry, feed me. And when you're learning that feeling of frustration or anger or wanting to give up, those are symptoms of your, that's just your body learning. That's what it, that's what it looks like because your brain is doing some serious hard work and everybody's brains work the same. We all, you, you know, we all make neural pathways um, when we're learning. Uh, the physiology is really similar. And so I think it's important even to give kids that like, whoa, I just, my brain is really growing today, or I'm making a new neural pathway. Even, you know, I've seen teachers teach their kids those specific words, you know, that, that are straight from neuroscience and the kids understand it. And so, I mean, I just, I think that's, that's really critical to establish a culture and to give kids all the facts they need to know in order to foster growth mindset. Absolutely. I think that's super important and something that gets a little overlooked. Like at the end of the day in my classroom, as all the kids were walking out of of the classroom, I would touch everybody's head and say, whoa, that's a big brain. That's a big brain. That's a big brain. And every day it was like your brain grew today. And so that's a simplified version of this for, you know, for four and five-year-olds. But we would talk about how your brain um, when you learn something new, you get this wow, I would call it the wow cool effect where it makes you just say, wow, cool. Like that happens naturally. That's not something you're thinking about. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Like they instinctively say, whoa, that was really cool. Like what is happening there? It's you learning something. And I think that another thing on, along those lines is that it's sometimes it's difficult to teach kids, especially at younger ages, especially in early childhood, how hard work pays off. And you can tell them, yeah, hard work's going to pay off. But it's always better to show rather than to tell. And so things that I would do in my classroom is like we would talk about stretching and lifting weights and how if you're only lifting little markers, your muscles aren't going to grow. But if you lift something that's actually a challenge and it's a little bit of a burn, it's a little bit of a stretch, or you're stretching and you're, not, and you're you know, bending your knees and you're not keeping your legs straight, you're not going to feel that burn. And so that growth happens when there's a little bit of discomfort, when there's a little bit of frustration, but that's when the growth, that's when your muscles are being strengthened and being hardened and doing all these types of things. So I guess, have you come across any lessons or ideas that are along those lines where really show rather than tell students why growth mindset and hard work and pushing through challenges, why that pays off in the long run so they can feel it rather than just hearing it or being told it, but they can actually experience it? Well, we have a couple of, uh, activities in our book that are geared toward younger kids, although older kids I've seen do them as well. But, um, some of it is like constructing a brain out of Play-Doh and just kind of talking about the different parts of the brain. Um, some of it is like reading, there's a book called my fan, my fantastic elastic brain that really does a great job of breaking down like the parts of the brain. And here's the thing about kids. Like if you have a fixed mindset, you believe that you don't have something, you don't have like the secret sauce to succeed in some area. But when kids understand that we all have the exact same, you know, barring some type of um, medical anomaly, we all have the same exact equipment. And um, research shows us that we can't with hard work, we can, we can grow our brain. And I even, I mean, especially for older kids, there's some research that you can boil down pretty simply. Like for example, um, they did an experiment with rats, 
they took a litter of rats and divided them into two cages. One cage was just like food, water, and the cage and a plate, you know, sleep. And in the other cage, it was like, you know, rat Disneyland. So there was all, you know, different enrichment equipment and different types of foods and different types of experience. And the brat, I mean, maybe not going to the autopsy of rats, but, but the, the brain of the rats, are, sorry, bell's ringing. The, That's okay. the brain of the rats who, who were at rat Disneyland were actually like thicker and heavier. They weighed more, were denser um, than the rats who had the bare minimum. And so there's some science you can share in a, a tactful way with kids that show like exactly how their brain works. There's also like some fun activities where the kids can be. Um, and, and I share it in the book and I can't think of what it's called off the top of my head, but the kids can be the neurons and they kind of use a, a balloon, you know, to, to as to shoot um, information down a pathway and then they connect with each other and watch it, how it, it, you know, connects from person neuron to neuron and they kind of become the neurons. And I've heard teachers say like, kids will be like, Whoa, I just made a neuron connection or like (laughs) use the word once they have the language. It's funny. My writing partner is a kindergarten teacher and she was telling some of these stories about how the kids would actually use those phrases that she had taught them. And our publisher was like, this doesn't seem realistic. A kindergartner wouldn't say that. And she was like, yes, they, they, they would. And they do if you teach them, you know, what it means and how to use it and reinforce it. And the publisher was just like, nah, this just doesn't seem realistic. So <laughs> I like, well, you haven't been in a kindergarten classroom because those kids pick up everything. <laughs> everything. Sponges. Um, but you know, I, I think it just, especially, and, and you can create the conditions by, um, you know, to foster growth mindsets in your classroom, just by, like you said, um, the process praise versus the person praise. And I also think one thing we miss out on sometimes is self-talk is to teach kids how to, um, control the narrative in their own head. Um, I tell a story in the book too. My son came to me and he said, he like had a guilty look on his face and he came to me and he, he confessed. He, I hit my sister. He was about five years old and I, his sister was three, I think. And I said, you hit your sister. Um, I said, did that, did that little voice in your head come tell you to come and confess to me? And he said, how do you know about the voice in my head? <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, I've never talked to you about like every person has a running, you know, monologue in their head at all times just going. And and not only does every person have have that narrative happening in their head, but also we have a, a modicum of control over it. We can tell ourselves, you know, we can bolster ourselves or tear ourselves down with that voice. And so even teaching kids how to like talk, um, giving them that language and also encouraging them to talk to themselves with that language, I think is really an important step to fostering growth mindsets, especially for our littlest kiddos. For sure. Like, I one of my favorite stories from the classroom was like the first month of school I was I asked a question and my kids were kind of staring at me blankly and I was like guys just think about it think about it and I didn't realize that they didn't even they didn't have a word they didn't have an idea of what the word think meant because a few weeks later one of the little girls says Mr. G my brain is talking to me and I'm <laughs> oh like gosh. I'm like yeah that's thinking, thinking. like that that's yeah. it like I didn't think of to explain it that way. I didn't even realize I'm saying, think about it, think about it. And not realizing that that word doesn't really mean much to them because they don't under they're not associating that little voice in their head with this is thinking. Right. And so when she said that, I was like, that's perfect. Like now that's how I'll explain it to, to everybody. That's how I'll talk about it on the podcast. Like thinking is just when your brain is talking to you and you're asking yourself questions and you're talking back to it. And, uh, I just thought that was always awesome. And I think what's really interesting too about what you were saying about your, your publisher thinking that, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is too realistic. I always think, and I think this is related to growth mindset, that a child's potential is really only limited by our own imagination. So if we don't imagine that a four-year-old or a five-year-old can learn about neurons, then we're not going to ever teach it. And we're not going to ever find out if that's true. And it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if we imagine that these kids that their potential is so huge and they are you know i always another thing you said that um 
they're sponges. And so I always think, well, if they're sponges, why are we just teaching them like a few letters and farm animal noises? Like we should be teaching them as much as we can because they absorb it. Mm -hmm. So let them absorb it. They love to learn and they love to make connections. And the more, the more you can teach them about the more different things around the world, then the more they can make connections to that, to their own life. And then they're firing off these neurons and these synapse connections and all these types of things. And I think that that's something that's really important about just believing in kids so then they can believe in themselves and pushing them to achieve things that we know they can achieve so then they know that they can achieve these things as well. And I think that um, a lot of teachers, sometimes they might hear growth mindset and think that it's more of a, like it's a buzzword at this point because Mm -hmm. they just hear, oh, growth mindset, okay, I kind of get that. But you mentioned this earlier that you have like a 12 month scaffolding that has a mantra connected to each thing. I was wondering if you could get into that 12 month approach. So by the end of the year, or even before the end of the year, kids can be learning these really, you know, out there, awesome things. And like what that scaffolding of growth mindset looks like, where do you start and how does it progress until you're at the end where kids are confident in their own hard work and their own abilities and their own um, effort that it can take them wherever they want to go. Right. Sure. Well, um, the very first thing that we talk about, well, the, the book is obviously written for teachers, but the very first thing we talk about is just what is growth mindset and totally encourage you to tell your kids what is, I mean, they should have those words, growth mindset and fixed mindset. They should know, like, if you say, are you approaching this with a fixed mindset? They should know what that means. I mean, if you want to foster growth mindsets in your classroom, they have to know what the heck it is. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely simple enough that people will understand it. And there's lots of different activities and strategies that you can use to teach um, what what growth mindset is. Um, And then the second thing we teach is how our brains learn, because that you know, is one of the most critical, uh, things that we're not teaching, (laughs) you know, that we're not teaching. And, um, you know, a lot of people I'm trying to, to, uh, grab my book real quick so I can give you some more information. But, um, so, so a lot of things that one of the things I think is really important to teach is like exactly how the brain learns, what's our equipment that we've got going on up there and, um, how the process of learning takes place in our bodies. The next most important thing, and this is, we have written now three books. We just finished our third book on growth mindset. So we wrote Growth Mindset Coach. Then we wrote another book called Growth Mindset Playbook that just kind of was a little bit of a deeper dive. And um, then we wrote uh, a a book that it's called, um, in other words, and it's basically, um, a, I want to say a Cliff's Notes version of the first two <laughs> books for the busy teacher. And so in every book, after we explain what growth mindset is and how the brain works, we talk about building relationships because man, it is, I'm, it's just all about relationships and Mm -hmm. kids aren't gonna, if you tell kids, I believe that you can do this work hard. You are capable of this. You have no limitations, your potential. Um, the only limit to your potential is the ones that you put on yourself. They, if you don't have a relationship with them, they don't believe you. They're just not going to, none of this matters. And so the first thing that we talk about is build those relationships, build that learning community um, so that, so that the kids trust you and that you create that safe space to fail. Um, So then we go into, we love a challenge. So you've got, you've got the foundational knowledge, growth mindset and, um, and how the brain works, the neuroscience. Uh, brain plasticity is that idea that we can always learn. Our brain can always have the capability to learn and grow, right? Um, and uh, with hard work, it it those the process uh, of those neural pathways connect faster and and make deeper connections. And then, of course, uh, the building relationships. Then we go into challenges like doing challenging work and how doing hard work is good for our brains. That's how our brains grow. Um, then we talk about feedback and that's when we say feedback is a gift, accept it. And we just, that's feedback is just a critical component of a growth oriented classroom because, you know, we rob kids when we, you know, give them like, well, you did your best. Um, and it was a fail or, you know, like you'll get it next time. Or one thing that I was saying that I didn't realize how dangerous it was, is like, come on, this is easy. You can do this. 
Well, actually, no, it is not easy for that person. And that was something I really had to to cut because I thought what I was doing was making it inviting, the task inviting when I said it's easy. But what I was really doing was saying, well, I guess if it's not easy to you, you're just a big fat dummy. <laughs> that was the insinuation. And I that was one thing I really had to – I cut out of my language was like, you can do this. It's easy. And I still hear people saying it and it kind of makes me cringe, but, um, just giving, giving feedback in a way that, um, you know, getting away from the red check marks and the glittery stickers and just like giving kids like steps and clear, consistent feedback that has a purpose, um, is super important. Um, goal setting is the next step when we talk about, setting a goal and then planning how you're going to get there. And then when you hit the goal, making sure that you look back and see that the work that you did led to achieving the goal. And so just talking about setting goals, you know, and that's how, you you know, grit is another buzzword we hear about is like, um, you know, setting a goal and working hard to achieve it. Essentially, perseverance is another word for grit. And just giving kids that experience of persevering toward a goal, no matter what it is, and it might be different for every kid. Um, Normalizing mistakes. So, you know, um, one of my favorite, there's a, a teacher channel has like videos of teachers teaching and that I love to watch. And, um, so there's a lady who does this, um, exercise called my favorite. No. So she gives the kids a math problem at the beginning of the day and she gives them a note card and they all work out the math problem. And then she picks up the note cards. It's kind of like their bell ringer work. She picks up the note cards and switch, um, puts them into, um, yes, they got it right. No, they got it wrong. Then she takes the no pile and she quick, quickly goes through them and chooses her favorite no, which is a uh, work that showed great math, uh, but the answer came out wrong. And then it's almost like an honor to be the favorite no in the class. Like it, there's no shame in it. Um, not a big deal. And then you actually get um, to hear how some of your a strategy that you used was on the right track, specifically how you went off track. And then the class kind of comes together to decide how, how the problem could be fixed. I think that's like, just like the most perfect example of mistakes are opportunities for learning, um, and normalizing mistakes. And then, um, one of our, uh, in monthly mantras is there's a difference between not knowing and not knowing yet. And so we focus a lot on the power of yet and, and how you can incorporate this idea of yet. Um, and in that word, there's this promise of a future. There's a promise of like, it's not here, but it's coming. And, um, Carol Dweck in her famous TED talk about um, mindset, she talks about a school who um, they, you know, you had to have so many units to get a degree. And, and if you hadn't passed the unit, your grade was not yet. And so you were working and she just said, like, how incredible that is, because, you know, the idea is mastery. Like, I'm just working towards something. I'm not I'm working toward it. I'm not there yet. And that's not a big deal. Whereas fail has, has such heavy negative connotations to it. It's really, it's really difficult. Um, our May mantra is I got this. And this is just like sending them home for the summer. We get out of school and in, in, uh, we get out of school in May here in Kansas. But um, so that's our kind of, so how does your growth mindset not get lost in like the summer slide and just give kids kind of some plans to work toward or work with and um, talking to parents about what growth and fixed mindset are. I think that's really important too, is just getting them in on the game because a lot of your work can come undone at home if the parent, it has a totally different message um, and just kind of reinforcing that mindset instruction. So, and then the summer months, Um, so each chapter is a month and then the summer months are basically like, um, self care and professional development for the teacher and how we also have to keep a growth mindset and keep, you know, being lifelong learners, taking care of ourselves, understand like this job is so emotionally, (laughs) mentally taxing and, you know, there's always something to be done. So it's easy to feel like you're failing and just kind of taking care of, taking care of your needs and normalizing, um, you know, there's no perfect teacher. We're all, we're all in the trenches working together, like that kind of idea. And as long as we're growing, we're doing it, you know, (laughs) kind of like pep talk for teachers. So that's kind of like the whole 12 months of scaffolding 
the, the learning. And then the next month, you know, you've got new kids that come in the next year, but this was, you know, the idea is teachers would read this. And then at the beginning of the next year, you can kind of put it all together as part of your holistic teaching practice. I love it. I love all of it. It was, um, as you were talking, there were so many things where I was like, oh, you know, that, that reminds me of this. This reminds me of that. The favorite no thing is, is I love that. I wish, I wish there were more opportunities for that in early childhood. Um, one of the things that came to my mind, especially towards the earlier months about just with the teachers being able to, you know, mistakes are okay and setting goals and <laughs> progressing towards those things was what we would use in our classroom was these spatial puzzles that were like Tetris pieces that you had to fit into a kind of a contained space, like a square. Mm -hmm. And basically it's one of those puzzles where like a Rubik's cube kind of thing. Um, although I'm not very good at Rubik's cube, so they don't, but this is how they kind of get you where you, you get one side and you have one, one color off and you're like, Oh, I'm so close. Let me just keep tinkering with it. Even though you have to like take it all apart to get that one color again. These puzzles were similar to that where you would get really close because there's only a limited number of blocks that you have there. And sometimes you'd get it and you'd be like one block off. And so kids would think, Oh, I'm so close. And they would play with these spatial puzzles at centers for sometimes for the entire center period, the entire center block where they would just sit there and tinker for 40, 50 minutes and just try to get it. Cause they always felt like, Oh, it's right around the corner. And for early childhood where it's a little harder to set those long-term goals and to say, I'm going to keep working at this. And mm -hmm. the, it also factors into that, that not yet kind of idea where they're not, they don't have it yet, but if they just keep messing with it, they'll get it. And what was great was that I could be like, be like, Mr. G, I need help with this. And I would look at it and I would say, guys, this is just about tinkering and trying and keep working at it because here, I'll show you. And I'd try to do it. And you know, I wouldn't get it on right? the first or second or third try because it's, it's not one of those things where there's a set path to getting it. It's just, you have to experiment and, and see where things go. And then I'd show them that I would do that two or three times and say, look, I, I didn't get it yet. It just takes hard work. And they would say, okay, I got it. And they would stick with it. And I thought that that, that reminded me a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in the beginning towards the end. The other stuff was awesome, but it was stuff that I didn't have. I don't have a quick thing that popped into my head for it, but it was a lot of really great, just a great scaffolding. A gra I'm really happy that you took the time to go into like a deep in-depth answer on what that 12 months looks like. I think what um, you're saying too about the puzzles is that that's also a great way to identify early on, like quickly identify some um, growth and fixed mindsets um, in regard to learning among your students. Because if you give kids a puzzle that's maybe like a little bit out of their comfort zone, uh, that maybe is a little too hard for their pay grade, and they struggle with it and they have to keep tinkering. You may see some kids who just like roll up their sleeves and keep at it. And then other kids who want to push it away and give up because they're not doing well. And then you can kind of zero in. Okay, I've got some kids who a challenge is a fixed mindset trigger for those kiddos. And so I need to work on that with them because people have different, I mean, people have growth and fixed mindsets about different, we all have growth and fixed mindsets. So I have a growth mindset. I, I like to think about teaching and about writing, you know, I have about different things, but I also have a fixed mindset about a lot of stuff. Like you know, in, in arguments with my husband or, you know, in like exercising and losing weight, that kind of gives me a fixed mindset. There's different things that are just my triggers. And I think um, if you kind of set the conditions for those triggers to go off, uh, you can, it helps the teacher identify quickly, like, okay, I need to really focus in my like on my language with Johnny to avoid like, you're so smart because clearly he's avoiding challenges when he's going to fail. And so that to me tells me that he is not going to tackle challenging work and I need to help fix that, remedy that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think we, uh, I think we share those places where, where we have some fixed mindsets. Um, cause that's definitely when you said like, oh, you know, if we have fixed mindsets. My first thought was, you know, exercise and arguments with my girlfriend. So. Exactly. I think too, there's a lot of things like one question that I'm often asked is like, well, if I can't say you're so smart or good job, what can I say? You know, and people feel really limited and I always go like fall back on like, talk about the strategy or ask a question. Like, what did you do 
what did you do to, to figure this out? You know, instead of just giving them a good job and a pat on the back, I remember I took my daughter to this like art lab thing we have in Topeka, Kansas. There's a college and they have like a kid's art lab on the campus. And I took her there. She drew this picture and, um, she held it up to one of the ladies working there And she said, do you like my picture? And the lady said, I think the important thing is, or the important question is, do you like your picture? And just like swapped it right around on her. And I was like, ah, I would have patted her head and been like, it's pretty great job. You're a little artist. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the old, you know, in the days before I learned all this stuff. And so I think like talking strategies, asking questions and truly listening to the answers because I mean, I have little, I have a preschooler myself and, um, you know, they can become really long winded and detailed and it's easy to kind of zone out and want to rush them along. But if you can ask a, a pointed question and get them to articulate the process of solving a problem, that is such a, such a boon to their mindsets, I feel like. Um, and then just, give them, and this is the parent side too, but giving them tasks at home to like, um, that they can struggle with, whether it's like, you know, age appropriate, making your bed or, um, tying your shoes, um, cleaning up after yourself, like giving them chores and projects, working with them on board games and puzzles. And, um, not always letting them win. <laughs> I think it's right. one thing like, a, you know, if you're going to win the game of old maid, go ahead and win it and then navigate that loss together so that they can learn about what failure looks like. And then you go back at it, you know, then you pick up your cards and you try again. And like, you can establish all these really good, healthy mindset habits in early childhood. Um, and so I, it, to me, it's like a, critical time to, to start, start these habits. Research has been done. There was some research done. I'm not going to explain this perfectly. It's not in front of me, but there was like, um, some, they recorded families in Chicago. I think it was like the eighties or nineties. And they, um, researchers just kind of, um, watched, observed interactions and these families didn't intervene in any way, but they just kind of marked down growth mindset, fixed mindset, what their language was to their kids and found, as soon as the kids hit school, the kids who were getting the growth mindset messages at home were having better outcomes than the kids who were getting the fixed mindset messages at home. And so, um, definitely it makes a difference because like we said, they're sponges and they, you know, even they're going to pick up those kind of social environmental factors. And, and Carol Dweck talks about in her book as well, that like when we're babies, we're born with a growth mindset. Like, you try walking and you fall down a million times and you keep getting back up and you learn to talk and it is nonsense babble and no one can understand you. And that is really frustrating, but kids keep going. You know, kids are like, bah, you know, and right. <laughs> so they get that look like, why are you understanding me? And that is really frustrating, but they're learning communication language and they keep going after it. And it isn't until, you know, sometime in early childhood when that starts to go away and it starts to get replaced by the fixed mindset. So definitely environmental. And man, we live in a country that really values the idea of like the natural, you know, the, 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 you know, we like to think that Michael Jordan came out of the womb, you know, dunking a basketball. And that's simply not the case. Or Einstein was right. born brilliant. And that's not the case. And in fact, there is also research, I think it's really important to start sharing these stories early on, that when you share stories, um, they, they divided these kids into like two, this group of kids into two cohorts. And in one, they, before a science test, they gave them like biographies of scientists to read. Um, and one class basically got like the highlight reel of the scientist's life, Nobel prize and accolades and, and discoveries and inventions and how they changed the world. And the other class and the other group of students got like the low lights, like the struggle and failure and rejection and like loneliness and, you know, all of the stuff that they encountered on the road to success. And then the kids wanted to take a science test and darned if the kid, the group of kids who read those struggle stories didn't do better on it when they, when they went in, like, 
it's, I think it's something like when you hear that other people struggle and failure or success isn't this like unencumbered trajectory, you know, upward, that it's a hot mess of like failures and screw ups and, and mistakes and, you know, setbacks. Like we start to forgive ourselves a little for our own and just kind of re, you know, we reinforce to ourselves that like everybody has this everybody has challenges, everybody has setbacks. And, you know, the fixed mindset is all about covering those up, minimizing them, making it look like they didn't happen or not even trying so they don't happen. And the growth mindset accepts that that is, if you want to achieve something, that that is just, that's a part of it. And so, you know, we need to teach that as early as possible. Definitely. And I think there's a lot to that about your point earlier about feedback that these low points that we hear about, like these are the stories that stick with us that are relatable. Like the Abraham Lincoln never held off, you know, he was like never able to like win office for the longest time or Edison, how many failures he had before he had a success. Like these are the stories that, that I remember when I, th- or Steve Jobs, like, you know, getting fired from Apple and then just going on to create Pixar. Mm-hmm. Like these are the stories I think of when I think of successful people, not people that had like this you know, straight path to success and everything was easy. I think Einstein was like dyslexic or something like that, where he did terribly in school. He struggled with reading, I think, till a later age than other kids. There's, do you know Brene Brown? Have you seen any of her work on, she researches like shame and vulnerability. No, I'm not familiar. She she is a, a researcher, I think, at University of Texas at Austin and researches shame and vulnerability. And among her, she does a lot of qualitative research and interviews. And she said among the thousands of people that she had interviewed, um, over 85% said, or I think it was 75 or 85, don't quote me, but <laughs> that said that they had, they had had such a sh- at least one of them could pinpoint such a shaming experience um, in school that it changed the way uh, they thought about themselves as learners. And, you know, when we feel powerful emotions, our brain kind of takes a snapshot of that memory. That's why you can look back and you can remember like every detail of your, you know, the most exciting days of your life. And you can remember every excruciating detail of the worst moment. You can like recall right. those sense, that sense of dread. And did it change them in a positive or a negative way? Or was it, well, that or was it a felt, mixed batch? They felt, um, they had had a shaming experience. So they felt shamed like stupid or, um, unworthy in their classes. Okay. That, I mean, that was a really, my colleague, uh, that we wrote the book together. Um, she told me that, um, you know, she had had experiences where like the kids in their, her class had to line up or, or were seated based on like who did best on the test. So like if you oh, did test, yeah. And, and, you know, people did a lot of things, <laughs> you know, teaching always gets better. So not to shame that a teacher who did that, but just to say like our practices are improving and we have to, you know, that's why growth is so important. And we can, we can look at it and say, oh yeah. And Carol Dweck talked about um, her teachers set her class in IQ order. So like based on who had like the highest IQ. So that wasn't like unheard of practice that, you know, back in the day. But, right. um, I lost the thread of what I was saying a little bit. We we're talking about shame. Oh, and yeah. uh... So, so like what, like I said, your brain takes this like snapshot of these powerful experiences. So if you, you can't eliminate shame, you know, shame is that sense of like deep, not even embarrassment, but just unworthiness. Like I do not belong. I am not good enough, you know, and kids get that sense if, in moments of failure or when they get, you know, ridiculed or made fun of. And in our, our newer book, the growth mindset playbook, we talk about creating a shame aware classroom so that you can help, you know, you can recognize um, what shame looks like for kids and then try to avoid. And, And we researched, oh man, there's so many stories of parents and teachers and schools just like shaming kids. So like one was a school, that a girl broke the dress code. And so her option was to um, go home for the day or like have her mom bring her new clothes, which her mom was unavailable or wear like a bright green jumpsuit all day long that said dress code violator on it. Oh my God. And, we're, and that just, ha- I mean, this is not from a long time ago. This is like just happening in the last few years. Like, oh man. And so, you know, we shifted gears a little bit in our second book and talked about like kind of the how to create a classroom where, and I think another one, like behavior charts, 
can be really shaming for kids. Uh, right. If you're on the red or, and people are still using behavior charts. I mean, that, that still happens. And, um, so, so we talk a lot about kind of uh, minimizing shame and, and promoting acceptance that we're all, because really those moments are what that those cement are fixed mindsets about things. When we feel, um, you know, stupid or, I I mean, I can still remember, I kind of gave up on math around the seventh grade because I, um, wanted to be on the math team and you had to, like, you got to go to little math tournaments and I took the test and I failed it. I didn't make it. And I just felt like such a loser (laughs) and I really avoided math. I mean, from that time. And I never realized why, but I mean, I just, I didn't have anyone to help coach me back to that place where like, you're a learner, you got to try again. I just, I just stopped trying and had a really fixed mindset about math until adulthood. So, I mean, not to go on and on about it, but in the second book, we kind of explore more of the social emotional, um, and building relationships and treating kids and colleagues with unconditional positive regard and just kind of trying to see the best in, in everyone and making sure that everyone knows they have potential to learn and grow and be amazing at, at whatever they choose if they're willing to work hard for it. Right. And I think the difference between – the reason I asked about shame having a positive or a negative thing because I think that the framing of it is can be the difference between shame and feedback. Like when babies fall or babies can't talk or you, know, you lose at a game of old maid – kids don't feel shame there because they're not being ashamed, but they feel something where it's like, okay, I can do better next time. I have to keep trying. There's something that was off on this time that I tried. So I think it's about, I think that there's a powerful message in there about just the, the framing of something where there can be the same situation where some, where a child doesn't do so well. Like, like even with you with the, with the mathletes test, um, where if the framing was different, then maybe that wouldn't have been a shameful thing. It would have been, okay, well, this is my opportunity to, you know, to really pick myself up by the bootstraps. I know people don't like that, that uh, terminology and that, fra- that phrase, but it could be an opportunity where it says, okay, here's something that I didn't quite get last time, but I know that if I work really hard and that if I keep pushing myself and keep trying and put in the effort that I can get it next time, or if it's framed in a way where it's like, you didn't get this, you know, I'm posting your name up on the wall saying you didn't get it. And then it can be like, oh, I'm ashamed. And I don't, I don't even want to go near this anymore. So I think that, that, that point about feedback, the difference between feedback and shame can be a really powerful thing where there's, you do need the negative to understand you can be doing better next time. So we talk about the difference. So what I think what you're talking about is the difference between shame and guilt, because like, a teacher asked me like, well, what am I supposed to do when a kid just doesn't do their work? Like just pass over it. And I said, you know, I think you're, or, you know, um, and I think a lot of times we're confusing shame and guilt. So shame is, or guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am bad. Guilt right. is a very, uh, strong motivator and it is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for kids to feel guilty when they've done something wrong because that, that helps us move forward. Right. For sure. When we feel bad, we don't like that sense of guilt. Shame is like a deep sense of like, I am bad and I am unworthy. I, can I read you like just a little sentence out of our, I pulled it up cause I, I wanted to, Um, Brene Brown says, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. When we shame a student, we are diminishing his or her capacity for growth. And so like we gave a bunch of examples in the book. So if a student talks out a turn, instead of writing the student's name on the board, that's kind of a shaming. Here's a spotlight. This is the person who's bad. Right. Instead, try to explicitly teach the student when it's appropriate to talk and when it's necessary to listen. So if a student's caught texting, I work in a high school, so I've never heard of this happening at my high school, but I've heard of it happening at high schools. If a student's caught texting, you ha- they have to read their text out loud. And so instead, try having a private conversation about the phone policy. If a student um, uh, is mean to another student, don't call, don't say you're, you're a bully, you know, instead hold them accountable accountable for their behaviors, but continue to offer that kid love and support as well. And so it's, it's kind of like just 
tweaking the behavior. So instead of like putting a spotlight on the, the negative behavior, like, well, look at you, you know, it, right. it turns into something like, here's, you know, you not, you know, you should feel bad about having done this thing because it was a violation of the rules. So the guilt isn't the bad thing, but what can we do to change it? Which is really what growth mindset is all about. Like, how can we, what strategy can we use to make this better? Right. And that reminds me of, of two quick stories. One was I had a little girl who awesome student, like would come into school and be like, Mr. G, I love to learn. Just like this kind of, you know, great, great kid. And one day she wasn't paying attention on the carpet. She was just goofing off. And I went up to her and I asked her and I said, Carolina, are you, are you doing your best today? And she just, she started crying because she felt guilt. She didn't feel shame. She felt guilt because she knew she wasn't doing her best that day. And she was this type of kid that's like, I love school. I love to learn. Like she'd say it whenever she had the chance. And so just having to think about that for herself for a second, like, am I doing my best at school today? She was like, I'm not. And she felt, I mean, I, I didn't want her to cry. You know, I didn't want her to, to feel that guilty, but she felt that guilt. And she, I mean, it was a powerful, powerful, powerful feeling. Um, and so I always, that, that story always sticks with me and I'm always hesitant to share it because I felt like she felt ashamed in that moment. But I think that the framing that you just gave of guilt versus shame is, is a really useful um, way to look at these types of things. And then another story that you, you were saying, you know, they read their text messages. I saw something on Twitter a couple couple months ago where whenever somebody got a phone call in class, the teacher would put the put the phone on speaker and talk to the person and so girl got a phone call, teacher takes the phone, starts talking to them, and they start reading back test results saying, you know, you're pregnant. And, <laughs> I saw you know, that video. And it was- <laughs> yeah. And, th- and then at the end, it's, it's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't take people's phones and do this. Yeah. And it was like an April Fool's joke. Right. And he was like, he was so embarrassed. Well, that teacher was just but red. I- <laughs> he was so red. But he knew it. He was like, okay, you guys got me. That was good. But it was like they turned the tables on yeah. him because he, he would shame them. And he thought that was an effective way. So they said, all right, dude, like we're going to get you back. And it was really well executed, like like <laughs> extremely well executed. So <laughs> yeah. That, that reminded for, me of that. A plus for pranks in that class, definitely. But I, I mean uh, – to your point of the story of the little girl, like absolutely like that she can draw the distinction of like her effort and, and her work product that day to how she approached her day. Was she doing her best? Like to me, like she under, you know, that's, that's the connection between hard work and results. And which is Mm -hmm. so important, um, that kids are, are able to, um, you know, draw that distinction between like, I worked hard. Um, but we talk, yeah, like a lot about shame and a lot about, I think like reading groups are another area where it can get kind of hairy. My son was in kindergarten last year and their reading groups were like squares, circles, triangles or whatever. And he was in the top reading group and then he got bumped down a couple levels because he was struggling and he was devastated. He was five years old and he knew exactly what that meant, that he wasn't a very good reader. And so, you know, I sat and talked with him about fluid reading groups and he can always get better and he needs to work hard. And we had that conversation, but I don't know that every kid gets off, you know, not every kid's mom wrote a book about growth mindset. So right. I, you know, and I even encouraged his teacher. I said, would you mind just telling him that he, if he works hard, he always has the chance to change his reading group. Um, you know, if you're going to use reading groups, make sure that they're, that are ability grouped, you know, make sure that they're fluid, make sure the kids know that people can move in and out. And it's just about the way we learn and the practice of learning. And, you know, um, there are, you know, ways to, to try to minimize shame, um, in your classroom that are just kind of things that people, that we don't really think about. Like if you make a phone call home, make sure it's, you're in a totally private area. Don't have kids grade each other's papers. No, right. I know it's expedient, but you know, then you get, I mean, as soon as you pass back a test, you know, everyone's like rubbernecking just to find someone who did worse than they did, you know? So, so just trying to like minimize that kind of those opportunities for kids to feel shameful or feel stupid or less than, um, I think is, is super important. And we talk a lot about, we talk a lot about that. In our second yeah. book. That reminds me just like something like when I was in seventh grade, I was a really good student and, you know, got, I got A's on 
pretty much everything. And so one time I got a B on a test and it wasn't, not that I was always the best grade in the class. I definitely wasn't, but I was towards the top. And one time I got a B on a test and a bunch of other kids got A's and it became like a, a thing where it was like, I did better than Jared. And like, that made me feel horrible. Oh, like I hated it, you know? And it was like, and I was at the top of the class, so I wasn't used to, and it wasn't even uh-huh. like shame. It was like, you know, I got like a high B, but it was like, like the other kids, kids were like, proud of themselves that they did better than you who always did right. well. It probably wasn't meant as an insult, but no, it wasn't, but it, but it like, it's, it stuck with me, you know, for 15, 20 You're years, you know, it all these years later. Yeah. Right. Like it really stuck with me where I was like, you know what, like, this is the problem with, with getting good grades and like the expectations are, are not fair to to some of the kids even towards the top where they they get shamed in different types of ways so it's always good to be cognizant of all those things um but i wanted to to wrap up we've been on the you know we've been on for about an hour now it's been such a great conversation so i wanted to wrap up with now that we have all the tools and the resources and the framework for a growth mindset plus a lot of extra stuff as well what are the results of a growth mindset what can we expect to see what transformational changes have have you seen because of classrooms implementing growth mindset? Um, I, for me, it's just when, when I see teacher or, and the feedback that I hear from teachers, um, who are, who are fostering growth mindsets in their classroom, you know, the, the results are that the kids aren't afraid of, of taking on a challenge that, that they're less, you know, when it comes to taking a big test or, um, you know, doing a project or something like that, then, um, the, the kids aren't as nervous or terrified or they don't go into those like avoidance behaviors. Another big symptom of growth mindset, or I guess an outcome of a fixed mindset is cheating. Like a lot of kids will say like, if I'm going to do bad, I'd just rather cheat than fail, you know? And so, uh, seeing those attitudes of like, well, I didn't do my best. I know why I didn't do my best and I'm going to, you know, try to fix it. That's another, um, kind of byproduct of growth mindset that I think is really important. Um, just willing to, to go persist in the face of a setback, um, kids willing to put in effort. So a lot of times I'll hear kids be like, oh, she's, I mean, she got an A on the test, but she had to work really hard at it as if it's like some kind of bad thing. And I said, well, that's kind of how you get an A on a test is that you work really hard. And so they see the path between like effort and success as opposed to just being like, oh, well, of course, you know, so-and-so is going to get an A on the test because he all, he's just a genius, you know? So, so seeing effort not seeing effort as like a weakness. Like a lot of kids will see effort as a weakness. So I have to try. So I'm not even going to bother. Um, and then, uh, being able to, kids are more able to accept some critical feedback. A lot of, and, and I see this in colleagues as well, after you talk about, um, growth mindset or just among teachers, cause I've done a lot of like professional development type stuff, but we talk about like teachers in the growth mindset are they want critical feedback. They want to know how can I do better? How can I improve? Whereas, um, teachers in the fixed mindset will take critical feedback. And then, you know, the reaction is, okay, who can I blame for this? Or of course the administrator hates me. This isn't my fault or caught me on a bad day. You know what I mean? Like there's just kind of those reactions and kids are the exact same way. Like if they're approaching the learning with a fixed mindset, they are not going to be receptive to that kind of feedback. Um, and Carol Dweck kind of points out these five areas where, um, growth and fixed mindset are really apparent. Um, and their challenges, obstacles, effort, criticism. And the last one is success of others. Um, so like if you're in the fixed mindset, you feel like really threatened by people who are successful, especially people who are doing the same thing that you want to do, who are really successful. It makes you feel very insecure. But if you're in the growth mindset and you see people kind of rocking at the thing that you want to do, you want to like seek them out as a mentor. You want to pick their brain. They inspire you. Um, that kind of thing. And then, you know, when you put all those things together, people who are willing to persist in the face of challenges, who are willing to put in the work to overcome an obstacle, who, who see the connection between effort and success, who can take feedback and then turn that into some 
positive improvement to their their work and who um, seek out mentors, role models, inspiration, and then try to model their work work habits off of those people, you know, the result is that you get a higher level of achievement. And Carol Dweck's 30 plus years of research shows us that. So, um, I think, I think it's, um, I mean, I just, I don't see a downside to promoting it in your classroom. I just don't see a downside to teaching kids about this and, and working the process in your classroom. For sure. And these are results that will last a lifetime, right. they'll last way further outside of your classroom. There are molding attitudes that, that will last a very long time. And hopefully this podcast will serve yes. as <laughs> the same kind of thing where it will mold attitudes for a long lasting time and really make changes, help people make the changes in their classroom to help them get to wherever it is that they want to be. So Annie, I really appreciate you coming on and taking you know all this time to, to talk through this stuff and give such detailed and really just full answers with lots of examples and research backed up. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better podcast episode. So I'm really excited to get this live and to out to our audience because they're going to love it too. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate you having me. Huge thanks to Annie for coming on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast and a huge thank you to you for listening. I really hope that this episode was as useful for you as it was for me and that there are so many takeaways that we can put forth not just in our classrooms, but in our lives and in our interactions with friends and family. Growth mindset is just a really special thing. And as you heard, Annie gave plenty of examples of how growth mindset has impacted her interactions with her family and with her friends and with her colleagues, because it is something that just, it's a mindset. It stays with you forever. So for more of these amazing strategies and to really learn more about Annie, I'm going to leave links in the show notes to all of her books, Growth Mindset Coach, Growth Mindset Playbook, Phrases for Growth Mindset, My Growth Mindset Journal, and we can all get started on implementing growth mindset in our classrooms and in our lives. As always, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to our email list. Follow us on social media. I'm going to start saying just one thing from now on because I always tell everybody subscribe on social media, sign up for the podcast, you know, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, subscribe to the email list, check us out on Teachers Pay Teachers. I'm just going to start saying one thing, or two things maybe. Subscribe to the podcast, please, and find us on Teachers Pay Teachers, and support Punk Rock Preschool in any way that you can. I really appreciate your support just for listening to this episode and for listening to all these episodes. You guys are the best, and if there's anything that you want to hear in future episodes, anybody that you want to hear me interview, please just pass it along to me. Send me an email. Find me on Twitter. And let me know, and I'm happy to start bringing whoever y'all want to hear onto the podcast because I appreciate you guys so much, and whatever content you want, I'm happy to provide. So again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep rocking.